Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with the co-founder of XOI Technologies, Aaron Salo. When asked about what it means to be a blue collar, Aaron has never thought of it as the type of job one does. Instead, he knows it to be a mindset. Coming from a family of tradesmen, Aaron took his first job assisting his father's manufacturing plant on a screw machine. This experience was one he'd returned to every break between studies and instilled in him an eye for the industry and a love for a job well done. Seeing the effects of an increasing skill gap on both company and tradesmen, Aaron took his experience and started XOI Technologies. By connecting companies with experts and facilitating the process to ensure every job is done as efficiently as possible, XOI is doing important work connecting clients to experts using innovative software to offer support on every job site. XOI Technologies is growing like crazy, so Aaron, let's get right to it. Thank you for being here, my friend. Thank you, Drew. Appreciate it. Yeah, buddy. So we got a little bit of our our take on your origin story, how we got into this business, but yeah. in your own words, how did we get here? Yeah, I think that uh, it, it summarizes the high level. I think you know the mindset piece is interesting. So I had I lived in a bubble growing up, different kind of bubble that you think. Where in my bubble, uh, my grandparents were farmers, my dad's in manufacturing, all my aunts and uncles work with their hands, and so my perspective was that was how you made a living. Uh, you worked hard, you beat your body to death all day and drank a couple beers when you got home, did it again the next day. And uh, what I realized as I got into the world is that, gosh, this wasn't the same message being sent to my entire generation. And being being 38, I guess I'm officially an old millennial, so I can talk some crap uh, yeah. about millennials. But, uh, you know, I think a, a lot of that, a lot of that was, hey, go to college at any cost you know, and, and it isn't a bad thing, certainly, but it certainly isn't for everyone. You have a lot of people getting degrees and things that uh, give them a job at Starbucks and $250,000 of debt yep. uh, because they turn their nose up at, you know, being a plumber. Uh, I just heard some stats out of a customer out of New York City. I mean, entry-level plumbing, two years of trade school, you're making 85K out of the gate, as an example. Wow. A lot of 20-year-olds that would be loved to making $85,000 a year, but they kind of go, oh, plumbing. Uh, so, you know, the reality is, you know, as I came into the world, I realized this kind of generational stigma to the skilled trades existed. And so as an entrepreneur in manufacturing, as a, an employee in construction business, it became clear that it was difficult to find people as a result. And I started learning more and more about the skilled trades problem. I couldn't find people for my own jobs that could do this work. And it was a problem that really kind of permeated the entire blue collar world, if you will. So construction, manufacturing, uh, there's a whole lot of people that were not getting to the trades. In fact, five guys retire and one's replacing it right now. And so what's interesting is as we started kind of getting into that space, we thought, man, there has to be a way to connect these generations. There's got to be a generational bridge that we can create this knowledge because what's happening is that when these guys and gals retire out of the trades, uh, we say a library burns down. And, you know, even though they express their talent with their hands, everything they really built was between their ears. Hmm. And so how do we connect those, those folks as we bring in greenhorns, as they call them, you know, folks that are new to the industry, how do we connect that information? So we started in smart glasses and we, uh, we said, hey, we're gonna put on these smart glasses. You're gonna be able to see what a guy sees, hear what he hears and talk with him about it in real time. Uh, we were too cute. We learned a lesson. We made the, the good pivot that a lot of entrepreneurs do, which is, gosh, I'm getting a, a, a somebody that is in 130 degree heat index, a $2,500 pair of smart glasses and saying, <laughs> don't break them, keep them charged, hot spot. Uh, and it was missing the point. But what we learned is there was a big opportunity for communication on a job site that, that was above and beyond live video and augmented reality. It was to the end customer. It was to the office. How do we use content to be able to enrich those experiences? And so uh, not only did we ditch the smart glasses, but we focused really heavily on data science and all the content that was coming from these sites and engagement with all the stakeholders that existed on these sites. And then we doubled down and focused on mechanical electrical plumbing. Uh, I think since COVID, you know, as an example, people kind of appreciate what the word essential means, sure, <laughs> you know, or foundational. 
Uh, I think sometimes the problem with the word essential is that work that's not essential is not essential, which isn't you know always the case, but certainly foundational to people's worlds. And I think we all we serve the men and women that uh, fix and and maintain the things that we all kind of take for granted, if we're honest. Uh, the fact that we're in air conditioned spaces, the fact that I don't think many people in a modern world have to go pee outside. Right, and right. Uh, and you also have, you know, running electricity to have the Zoom call. Um, you know, that's the th those are the folks that we serve. And that's the story. And so our whole goal is to solve the skilled trades gap, specifically in the mechanical electrical plumbing space. It's an audacious goal. Uh, but every day we, we love the trust that we earn with our customers to be able to do just that. So that's what's got us where we are today. Wow, man. I want to back up to whatever the initial iteration was, because I know you, you talked about a pivot and we see this all the time, especially like in the idea of the startup J curve, where you have an idea, you bring it to market, you learn hopefully fast and you make some, mm -hmm. some pivots and some morphs until you find what really works. When you first started the company, what did you think the actual revenue for the company was going to come from? Yep. So we were we had the thesis that based on the skilled trades gap, we've got younger people in the in the space. If we equip them with smart glasses, they would be able to to start up these live calls with experts back at the office. They'd be able to see what they see, hear what they hear, walk them through oh. the problem and fix the problem. Okay. And so it was kind of a typical SaaS plus hardware type model. Uh, where, where folks were investing into that. We learned a really interesting lesson though. And I think this is one that could apply to other businesses is the idea of continuous versus episodic use cases. Hmm. And so live video is on its own is very episodic. I'm only needing it when I need it. And, and it's probably a lesson that we, we learned probably too late. We had a lot of arrows in the back, but we learned soon enough to be able to continue to grow the business and pivot. If a technician or a user is not engaged with the platform on a consistent basis, if they're not engaging with something valuable, then those really good kind of episodic use cases, they forget how to use it, right? And mm. so it's like, I don't need live video AR on every job, but when I need it, man, it's really valuable. I'm not rolling a second truck, I'm not making the customer wait, I'm not doing all these things that are really detrimental to a service business. And so we kind of solve for what is the continuous use case that engages the user all the time? Creating workflow content, being able to give visibility to a customer, engaging our data science uh, programs and models to provide value to them so that when they needed a live video call, oh yeah, I'm in this all the time. I pop this button, I get an expert on the call. And then we record those interactions and learn from those. So that was a big learning, I think, of that moment was those two pieces mm -hmm. and engaging user, giving them value on every job they were on. Yeah. So did, for this kind of company, did you have to raise capital to, to start this? And how did yes. you take the hits of the early, how did you fare taking the hits of the early stage of, man, yeah. we thought this was going to work and probably put money into it and it didn't? Yeah, for sure. So friends and family, you know, all everything I had plus friends and family that were willing to help get it started. I actually just told this story uh, a couple of days ago and I hadn't dusted it off in a while, but this is going to sound very odd. But I remember telling my wife, I said, you know, hey, two years, no salary. And I'll get a salary in a couple of years. Four years later is when that really happened. So, <laughs> so the reality of uh, what you think it's going to be and what it is, is you're growing the business. But interestingly, what I did is I had a little bit of money left in savings after put, I go, man, I could live off of this or I could try to do something that would generate some revenue. And so uh, what I ended up doing is finding uh, a small business in Nashville that sold kids toys cheap kids toys and DVDs to convenience stores huh. and to like 99 cents to 5.99. And I got a, a business partner in it to run it. And I said, I got to generate some sort of income while this happens. And so we grew that business to 180 convenience stores selling 99 cents to 5.99 kids toys and DVDs. And that was the rev. That was how I paid my bills. Wow. Uh, I worked, I worked on the weekends doing inventory and accounting if I needed to for the business. My guy did most of the work so I could focus on XOI, but that paid the bills uh, in those early years. And for me, that was somewhat, it, you know, weren't making millions off of it by any stretch, but enough to keep the lights on Yeah, so that I could focus and not be looking at my dwindling savings account going, gosh, it was four years, not two. And I'm out of money. I, I need to start taking a salary, wherever the case may be. So I think everyone takes a different approach. Yeah. Go, gosh, really software technology and, and kids toys and convenience stores. 
it's what was available and what made sense. And it was passive enough that it could support me during that time. Oh man. I love that. That's, that's really cool. What would you say is the most difficult or challenging part about starting a software technology company or running one, not just starting, but like in general, having that be the the service of the product. So I'm a non-technical founder. Uh, my background's manufacturing construction. I know these industries really, really well. It's, it's, I feel as though God put me on this earth to start this business and solve this problem, you know? And so I know those industries, I'm not software guy. So I think the challenge for me was uh, finding someone I trusted uh, to be able to build out the technical portions of what I saw on a whiteboard, what I drew on a whiteboard we should do and executing that. And, and I, there was a, several false starts uh, in the beginning. We we're using outsourced, you know, engineering. Uh, about four years ago, I met our current CTO and uh, he changed the game for us. Mm. And I always I tell him he's, a, he's an honorary founder because without him, we wouldn't be here. But I think that's a challenge for non-technical founders. You can know the industry like the back of your hand, the problem set, the user. You know, I was in these trades, I was in the factory floor, but you know, at the end of the day, you have to build software that's going to execute. And I think that was the important piece and one of the more difficult things. I think the other thing that people don't talk about enough is your support at home. Hmm. Um, I tell young founders, you know, ensure that you are telling your significant other, if you, if you have one, uh, that this is going to be the hardest thing you're ever going to do. And it's going to be more sacrifice than you can ever imagine. You're not talking about, yeah, you know, I had to work a Saturday morning here and there. You're talking all the time, nonstop, yeah. you know, engagement. And I was lucky enough to have a wife. We dated since we were 15. Uh, and she's my best friend and, and been my role dog for a long time. But like she she had to weather a lot. And so I tell founders, I'm like, look, either if you with somebody, make sure you tell that story and make sure they understand it or stay single. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah, because you're going to go you're going to go heavy in the crazy for a long time. And uh, the idea that, you know, I I know folks coming home to a spouse, a husband, a wife, a significant other going, hey, where's that money? How are things going? Uh, We need to pay the bills. We had a kid, whatever the case may be. That stress of home, which I was blessed enough not to have, uh, was massive for the ability to start something and keep driving it. Uh, so yeah, it's something that, that I think is important and just a couple of things that come to mind when you ask that. Oh, that's huge. Absolutely. I mean, we, we did a good job of that yet. We still were surprised by the difficulty and the delayed gratification of yeah. security and, you know, a good paycheck and all that kind of stuff. And there were several hard conversations at like midnight, you know, yeah. is this something we're going to continue? Are you yeah. sure it's going to work? You know? that kind of thing. And I, and she was great. My wife has been awesome about it yet. You just, like you said, you see the toll of like, this is a very, very difficult thing, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You got to try to take that and you still with all the prep and all the thinking, you still don't know what it's like until you're in it. And it definitely, and it doesn't mean it's all hunky dory either. We had lots of hard conversations, but yeah, having that support system, I think is critical. Yep. Or, or honestly, I told a guy, I go, Hey man, don't date. Yeah. Right. Just yeah. stay single. Cause you're about to go. It's not going to be good for whoever you start, you know, dating. Right. If that's going to yeah. take the case, I mean, it sounds, may sound crazy, but this is your life for the least the next few years, you know? So it's uh it's interesting perspective. And I think means a lot to, to whether someone's successful or not. I love that. Where, where has this journey caused you invited you or, or, or forced you to grow the most? Yeah, I think, I think the biggest, gosh, there's so many, I mean, the failure, the failures are a plenty. The personal growth is a plenty. I think, I think the emotional intelligence piece is what comes to mind. And I think Mm. the context switching, um, you have to have the emotional mental resiliency to have a customer tell you I'm out and then get the right energy back on four minutes later to go present to a new client and kill it. And I think that's another thing I don't, at least I don't hear about a lot is the idea in the early days, you got to, you got to employ that leaves, you got a situation there, you've got, you lose a customer, yeah. then you're raising capital or you're presenting to a new customer. You have to be able to go, Oh my gosh, that's horrible. What are we going to do? We got to solve it. 
oh man, in three minutes, I got a meeting with someone that I had to be like, hey guys, this is what we do at X to Y. This is why it's exciting. Right. That is a big <laughs> emotional shift, right? Between yeah. two things. And I think being able to manage that and do it, it is a huge growth opportunity for me over time. And I'm certainly having solved for it, but sure. it's something that I think you have to be able to manage because those hits come, the winds come, it's a roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. What has helped in developing that emotional resilience? Is it as simple as knowing it just needs to happen and I've just disciplined my mind to, to switch the state I'm in when I need to, or is it a perspective shift that has helped yeah. that process? How do you think about that? Yeah, I think I think you have to absolutely genuinely believe in what you're doing and understand that the, it's it's genuine to flip on the switch of excitement and passion when you're truly within something that you believe deeply in. So I think it would be much harder for me if it was something that I hadn't spent my entire life in and around, something that wasn't personal to me. You know, I share the story from time to time about, you know, my grandfather, you know, he passed a few years ago, but the last 10 years of his life, when I was around him, I had to help him out of chairs. I mean, he had wow. beat his body as a farmer to death. My dad in manufacturing, six, seven, eight surgeries, you know, between shoulder and knee and all these different back and all this different stuff. So that's why it's personal to me because I go, man, there's got to be a way from a technology perspective to solve this problem. So that guys, people that I love the most in life are not just doing a job that it makes them work with their bodies till they're 70, mm. you know? Mm. So, so I think, I think the passion can help drive that for sure. I think there is just the exercise of it, of being able to go, gosh, I feel like crap after the call I just took, I have to know, be now be on and you watch your body language and how you're presenting yourself. People pick that up. Sure. And so for me, the failure of that, right. I, I can specifically remember early years, having some of those bad situations, getting on a customer call and just being deflated and they didn't move forward with us. or they weren't engaged in it. And I, the only person to blame was me. You know, I just, I came into it with the baggage of what I just had. And so getting hit with that going, you got to have short memory, short memory. It's like quarterbacks. They talk about yeah. that bad throw, forget about it and keep playing. And I think that's, uh, it's reps, it's passion. Those are the two things I think about. So good. So we've talked about developing the solution for the industry. I want to talk about developing the company. Now that you've got the solution, what was it like building the, the company to where it is today in terms of key hires? And yeah. now you got to think about being a boss, not just delivering a product or a service, right? Yep. What, what's that journey been like? How did you build the company? Yeah, I would say that, you know, when you, when you think about, the, the guys, the first two guys I brought into the business and, and really co-founders in the business, the relationship that we had, it's really interesting because as much as we're passionate about this problem, the, the friendship and the brotherhood that we have, um, I think drove us through uh, not only bringing in the best people to the business, but also the toughest times. It's interesting having co-founders that are psychological support more than anything. And so I think in those early days, assessing who was a similar mindset in terms of their work ethic, how they cared about the world, how they worked and having those guys to bounce ideas off of was really critical. I hear about kind of like solo founder deals where they're running the whole thing and, yeah. and don't have that, that psychological, like I, I tell my wife about everything, but she's not in the fight every day. So she right. has so much context the, the, the guys that I'm in the fight with every day, they, they're there with me. They were shoulder to shoulder, you know, duking it out. And so, I think that's really important in the culture of a business where, where everything is everything and you're able to have that camaraderie. And I think one thing that has stayed true and the reason I tell that core story to today, one of the things I'm most proud about is, you know, we're 80, 85 employees now. I think that the level of care they have about the problem we're solving is really high. Mm. They care deeply about it and they care deeply about their role in it. And you can see it when we have an issue and people are like, I got, you know, I got to solve this for my, the passion, the friction comes from, I don't want my customer to be experiencing this problem. Yeah. I don't want my customer to experience this way. And I think that's one thread of culture that stayed consistent. We screwed up a bunch of stuff too. Sure. But when I think about the positive side, that has definitely been a huge one. And then as, I, as I've learned to trust, I think, you know, every founder goes through the, this is my baby and no one's going to do it. You have to get over yourself and acknowledge that 
80% of how I do it is good. It doesn't have to be exactly how I would do it. I shouldn't expect people to do it exactly. how I've done nothing but live and breathe this for eight years. That's, that shouldn't be the expectation. I think getting over that, letting go of ego has been a big yeah. part of it. Um, were, you guys all, were you guys already friends before or kind of that friendship yep. got forged through the business? Yep. Yeah, we all work together. Uh, in fact, my, my COO, uh, Anthony, was my boss. So I always joke that, hey, man, I, I just didn't like that setup. I feel like it needed to be yeah. flipped. So I want to start a company. <laughs> somewhere for me. Um, but uh, yeah, we all, the three of us worked together at a, a construction company. Wow. And so for about four years and, uh, and then and started it from there. So yeah, there was, a, there was a foundation there and a trust there, which is really important. How is the company structured now? In terms of, do you guys kind of, kind of do like a flat hierarchy, a traditional hierarchy? Do you have uh, a senior leadership team, managers? Yeah. Like how how have you guys had to build this company? Fairly fairly flat, although I'd say you know certainly department based, probably pretty typical in that way. Um, I think that you know one system that we put in a few years ago, which has been massive, and I know a ton of people are doing this now, is EOS. Yep, if you're familiar with it, absolutely. Um, book traction and and that that three years ago was massive for us. Yes. I think structuring, you know, visionary, you know, integrator, all those components and then thinking through kind of our core values, mission, vision, the rock structure has yep. been transformative for our business. Uh, I think the clarity by which we give and transparency, we give our teams allows them to understand what's going on. And there's no kind of games being played uh, around, you know, politics to the best of our ability because of that, everything's out in the open. Yeah. So are you sitting in that visionary seat? I am. And Anthony has taken more of the integrator over. I think okay. that was one of the interesting kind of things because I'm an absolute, I can absolutely be both of those guys in my personality. So I can sit and yeah. talk and whiteboard and talk about the pieces, but I'm also, I'm a blue collar guy. It's like, I want to get shit done, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so I think, uh, I think for a while it was kind of both, but um, I think it is healthy to have that dissection. And so we've moved more and more in that direction. Super cool. So we, I know we've talked about this a bunch on the podcast, but anyways, listening, uh, this is called the EOS developed by, um, what, oh my gosh, why am I forgetting his name? Traction with, um, Gino Wickman, Gino Wickman. Wrote traction. Yep. 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 And we're talking about what they call the accountability chart, which is different than like a job description or a traditional org chart. Uh, it's really responsible for uh, basically it's accountability. Like what, what function of the business are you accountable to, even if it involves multiple people? And so they have That's right. visionary right under visionaries, integrator and under the integrator is the sales and marketing seat, the operation seat and the finance seat, depending on, you can rename them and add a few if your business is a little different or more complex, but it's a really neat thing. If anyone listening to check out, it's not right for every business at every stage, but it has helped a ton of businesses. And it sounds like it's helped yours as well. Yeah, very pragmatic. You know, as I mentioned, you read a lot of business books that are up in the clouds. Right. This is like here. This is exactly what you got to focus on and how you do it. Yeah. And, and we tweak things. I think most businesses do. But yeah, it's been huge. That's course. awesome. Have you guys found anything else like that that comes to mind that's been really helpful for you that once you found this resource or this idea or this structure or something like that that's been beneficial to your business? We, yeah. So most recently, another thing that, that I think is becoming quite hot is do our leadership team going through uh, Enneagram tests. Yes. So yeah, that's been, that's been super interesting, I think. And it's been, it's been great for me personally. My wife and I have, have gone, done it together as well. And understanding motivations, fears, um, perspectives that drive people professionally and personally has been a really good profile. And I think that that has been something else we've really engaged with that's helped. Cool. So yeah. uh, I love the Enneagram. Uh, at least me and one of the other guys on my team are certified in Enneagram. Oh, nice. And yeah, we love it. So I run a, I don't know if we got a chance to talk about this. We got fast, we got started real fast, but I run a coaching company. So we do coaching for leaders and that kind of stuff. Enneagram is one of my favorites. If, if we have the time to do deep dive, right? Because uh, yeah. it goes yeah. deep. It starts to get to some oh. deep motivations. For you, yeah. What is your, uh, what is your, your, the number you most identify with is I guess the way I would phrase that. Eight. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because you probably geek out on this, but eight, uh, definitely an eight wing nine personally. Okay. 
yeah. wing seven professionally. Interesting. So yeah, you can identify most with the nine kind of peacemaker. Yeah. You know, I think every family extended family has their drama. I feel like mine has been Jerry Springer esque at some points <laughs> in my life. And I'm always a guy going, Hey, we're family. We love each other. Let's work this out. Let's make it happen. Yeah. You know, work side, it's, it's more the visionary side. Hey, we can conquer the mountain. Let's go, let's run. This is how we're going to do it. Um, so it is interesting seeing that dissection, but how about your uh, wife? I love it. She's a one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what wing? Uh, I forget which wing she, I, I think it was one, th- uh, one, two. Okay. Yep. Yep. One, two. So and what have you learned about that combination of yeah. personalities? Yeah. So I think, you know, as a, as a perfectionist, she has her own critic and it was probably the most eye-opening thing for me and, and probably most emotional as we were going through it, realizing that perfectionists have this internal critic that's constantly chirping. Oh yeah. So me adding to that was not helpful. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? In any way, yeah. even the small things that I thought were you know nascent uh, in any way, she had her internal critic is stronger and harder on her than anyone else. Oh, it's harsh. It's relentless. You know, yeah. relentless. Yeah. And, and, uh, and she's a professional as well. She's a nurse practitioner at, at Vanderbilt. So she's driven, wants to excel in her career, wants to be a great mom, wants to, you know, all the different things. And so she has a lot of pressures. And I think the best way I can support her is reframing how I discussed certain things, reframing, you know, if I had something that the story I'm telling myself is versus yep. I feel like you did that, 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 you know, and oh, so, yeah. um, I think it, it definitely helped. And I think it helped her on the eight side too. Cause she teased me as soon as she saw a controller, she goes, yep, that's you. And I go, <laughs> and she kind of read more into it and she goes, yeah, it's really funny. I never thought about an eight doesn't want to be controlled and all the different things that can happen in their life that make them that way. Uh, it's fascinating because it's, I don't perceive myself as I'm going to control you. I just want to make sure I'm not controlled. Yep. I think a lot of entrepreneurs can fall in that eight because of that reason. It's like, I'm going to control the destiny, good or bad. I want to be sure I'm the person that, that drives it. You know? Yeah, man. Super cool. I'm also curious at how you've managed your drive, right? So mm-hmm. eights often have such a, a depth of energy, a depth of horsepower. They have the most natural energy out of any number on the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. And often they could, without checks and balances, they could find themselves getting into some burnout. They can find themselves going too much in too many directions and ex- incurring yeah. some kind of cost from that. Have yeah. you seen that in your life and how have you managed, managed that in a sense? Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's, there's a few things that come to mind. Um, you know, I, I tell I tell folks that in addition to, to being an eight, having those attributes, I doing anything halfway is not in my nature. Right. And you can apply that to good and bad things. Right. And, you know, for me, I think a combination of things, my faith is really important to me. I think doubling down on that uh, and making sure that I have good spiritual wellness has been really important exercise, uh, religiously. I think I always, <laughs> I always say I'm going down to the basement to, to work the demons out because yeah. I have to do that. I have to, it starts, things start to go sideways if I don't. Um, and, um, just being present minded as possible, which is for me represents for, you know, not drinking as an example, you know, I don't drink, don't do anything else. I just, I want to stay focused. Uh, and I think those things are all things that I've done over time to kind of refocus and stabilize yeah. that drive. I think if one of those things started getting out of whack, you know, that there would be a real impact to my ability to stay at that level and not burn out. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so. man. I had a friend, this is definitely like in our mid twenties. So stupid applies for sure. But he's a, he is yeah. an eight, an eight with an eight wing. I know that's not possible, but if it were, that would be him. Yeah. And uh, he, this is not fun. It's funny because he's okay now. But he is so driven. I mean, he was doing, he played in a band. He he was uh, producing music. He was uh, starting a film company where he was videoing these bands and all this kind of stuff. And he was just going, going, going. And he lived on energy drinks and cigarettes. Like that was just literally like just he wanted more to do, more to go. And he he, he had to go to the hospital because his kidneys shut down. And the doctor starts looking at all the tests and whatever and basically said, here's a Gatorade. Go home and drink water. 
And he was like, what? He's like, your kidneys are literally shutting down because all you've been drinking are energy drinks and you have not just had any water. Wow. Like you're like, there's no water in your system. And mm. we were like, his name was Drew. My name's Drew too, but we're like, Drew, at least open your mouth in the shower, bro. Like, <laughs> come yeah. on. And he, he realized though, like his drive, his, his thirst for building things and doing things and whatever was actually starting to kill him. And so mm-hmm. he's had to work from that point on to, to really do similar stuff to you. Like, what's a healthy expression of this, right? That's right. Yeah. I don't think for folks like us, you ever go, oh, just just be mellow and not right. driven. You just got to have that in the right position. And Directed as I mature, right, right. I, got, I got plenty of stupid between 18 and 25 uh, for the rest for sure. of my life uh, to know that there's certain ways I have to drive that and, and to make sure that, uh, that I can make it healthy. You know? Yeah, so good. So how let's think, let's talk about bringing in something doesn't have to not even specific to the Enneagram, but starting to bring in something like personality tests and uh, understanding different drives and motivations of people you work alongside. Mm-hmm. How have you done that as a company? Is it just we're studying a book together or it's uh, we bring in coaches or like how have you guys brought in that to the company culture? Yeah, so I think at, at a leadership level, we've done definitely done coaching and offsites um, over the last several years, uh, working with a guy here locally that we really enjoy and helps us kind of reframe, you know, within the context of EOS and whether it was DISC or, you know, Enneagram or all the different things that you can do. Trust falls. We always joke about that. When did the trust falls start? Yeah. Our guy's always like, no trust falls today. Um, but yeah, I think that that regular cadence of those connection points on a quarterly basis have been really good for us. And then we take those lessons and kind of each leader will filter them down to their business and do their own kind of offsite stuff, take those learnings. Cool. Um, and, and be able to apply those. I think the the other thing that's interesting that we do, and I'm not sure how, how unique or not this is, but our core values, you know, when we have our all hands as a company of our five core values, and we give an opportunity for the entire organization to shout out, the ways that we individuals have contributed to those core or shown those core values or virtues and also ways that we haven't. Yeah. Not individually, but as a company, because yeah. we don't call people out in a negative way, individually positive, you know, as a, as a, as an individual in a group to give them some love. And those are tough. You know um, when you, when you kind of look at our first core value, we put ourselves in our technicians work boots. You know, that is the most important, how we sell, how we build products. Being able to call out, you know what, we built a feature in a way that we weren't in our tech's work boots because it didn't work right and it wasn't sold right and it wasn't, you know, all the different things that we, we violated that core value. How do we get better as a company? So the violations are we's uh, and the wins are individuals, you know, and groups of individuals. I like so, that. Yeah. So that's kind of how we look at it, try to look at it. And I think it's, it's, it's been an interesting, sometimes hard way to do it but i think it surfaces where you can improve most yeah it's really cool so it sounds like you guys have brought in uh an eos implementer is that what it is mm-hmm. yep that's and right are they doing right now they're doing just the quarterly uh the quarterly check-ins is that rhythm for you guys that's the rhythm for us right now yep awesome yep. and then yep so that's being invested in i guess the uh the senior leadership team or the executive team is the ones in those quarterly meetings yes what about yep. how, what, what kind of rhythms or resources are you guys doing to develop people outside of that? Yeah. So we've done, we've invested kind of in each group to, to have their own resources to do similar type things. A lot cool. of times it's within context of EOS or otherwise, uh, whether it's personal development and growth, whether it's money for those type of things so that they can get into those things. We've also got a giving committee that we invest uh, time and, and, and money into. So the ability to be able to, you know, hey, we're going to give you two days paid uh, to be able to, to go work at a local shelter or do whatever the case may be. Wow. So those are enriching opportunities as well uh, for folks. And then, you know, so professional and personal development, giving back is kind of the thesis of, of those things. There's always ways to improve. I think I think one thing that we could get better at is bringing in larger and larger groups uh, to some of these kind of rhythms and sec- that we've been talking about uh, to get them more acclimated. I think one thing I'd like to do, I like transparency and it's like, Hey, let's post the L10 Trello board to the entire company. Yeah. Uh, there's some things in there that are, that are, you'd be like, Ooh, you know, do you want to do that? 
It's funny. I was actually listening to a company uh, on a podcast recently and they said, yeah, we, uh, we actually post everyone's salaries in an Excel doc for everyone. I go, Oh, wow. That's a, that's another level of transparency, but it's interesting. What they did is they said, look here, if you want to be a product manager, here's a junior mid-level and senior. Here's what you do to get there and what you get paid to get there. So I think that was the component that makes something like that work, which is interesting. Yeah. You could kind of, I think any founder would be like, oh, geez, we're going to post salaries on a public spot. Like you're going to definitely have cause fights and drama, fights and drama. Yeah. But when you have clarity in terms of what it takes to get to the next level and it's all even keel, that's interesting because yeah. you have organizational structure to support it uh, versus the same two people are making $50,000 different and you're going to immediately create a massive fire, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So that was interesting. Yeah, it's super cool. Uh, last question before we, we dive into the lightning round. Uh, I know this is going to be difficult and that's okay. So it's probably going to be something that you, you look back and like, oh, I could have said this or this or that. But if there's a few things that just kind of immediately come to mind as really the key ingredients for why you guys have been successful and growing so fast, what would you put your finger on? What are the few things that come to mind? Uh, serving technician first. We got in the field a ton. And it's incredible how many software technology businesses will build what they think they need or put something on someone in the field. I think it's actually representative of a larger cultural viewpoint, if we're honest, about people that work with their hands. Uh, and so I think the, the amount of hours spent in the field with the person sweating, dirty, fighting through every day um, was a huge component. So I would say for anyone listening, getting in front of your users intentionally directly and often everyone says that but are you doing it truly yeah. doing it i think that that is something we we installed so so this is an interesting thing so number one core value put yourself in your technician's work boots we installed about a year and a half ago weekend testing it sounds it sounds more brutal than it is we basically put the entire company into groups and we require that over a weekend you are using the technology for, it's about two to three hours out in the field. Now, everyone who gets this, or you think I'm a, a brutal guy, gets a half day off on Friday. So you cut loose at noon. So I tell people, I joke with them, I say, you can either do it from 12 to five and you, you have plenty of time to do it, or you go drink margaritas and do it on Saturday. I don't care. Whatever you do, there like we you go. time to do it. But from, from me all the way down, just two weekends ago was my weekend testing. I was out with my family doing hiking and I took a whole bunch of content and I was just like a technician would be, you know, and so out in the field doing the thing. I think it gives you an inherent appreciation for where the flaws are. And we found more good bugs and issues doing that than anyone else. And of course our product teams and customer success are actually with techs all the time as well. But I think that's a big one, um, you know, functional way to do that. Yeah. And then as far as success, you know, otherwise I do think, I do think having a really strong foundation. Uh, I talked about the founders that I'm fortunate enough to have worked with and, you know, that have been the psychological, emotional support, um, you know, throughout is, is critical and has been part of the way we approach kind of our culture and work ethic, which has been awesome. And then I would always, I would almost say too, kind of understanding that you, as you grow your business, you need to find people that are better at you than a function. Mm. And that have demonstrated that within their past, I could do a whole thing about interview process. But, you know, I think one of the biggest mistakes I've made throughout time is like, um, you know, yeah, I think you could probably do this job and you have the background not digging in and understanding that their motivations lied other places um, that didn't align with who we were as a business or who our customers needed needed from us and seeing a resume and going, yeah looks good. All the, all the top points make sense. All the locations you've been at make sense. And, and I think we've had a lot of pain by not doing a better job yeah. uh, on the front end of those processes, because you make a bad hire in leadership or otherwise saddle up for a year and a half before you fix that problem. Yes. You know, yeah. uh, cause they run for six months. You make the determination, Holy crap, this is a problem. I got to go this, you know, process, you know, however it looks like they leave, you make them leave, whatever the case may be. But now I'm back in the hunt. And I mean, you can have massive impacts on your business in a way that doesn't work. And I'd say that, you know, our growth has been stunted, even though on paper you see it and you go, wow, it's incredible, man. I just think about what if, and a lot yeah. of it all comes down to people. So, 
Well, I, let's let's actually give a minute or two to that because I know a lot of people listening. It it, it is a very uh, intense challenge that they're not sure they figured out, yeah. and I know you haven't quote unquote figured it out, but yeah. I but it sounds like you've made some strides that have been mm-hmm. very healthy for the company. What what is an effective hiring process, or at least yeah. change to that that you've made that you feel like has helped? The single biggest thing I think about, man, is. Um, <laughs> deep diving we so within an interview process you will hear a lot of we did this when you say we who is involved and what were their functions in that particular thing Hmm. and what that what you're what you're looking to surface there is that i notice a lot of people can speak about a particular discipline or function because they watched it behind the coach's bench to use a sports analogy or even worse from the cheap seats but what I mean by that is they're sitting at the, on the bench. They're listening to the coach's coach. They're seeing the players play really closely. And they can go, yeah, this is the thing. We ran these plays. We used these subs. This is when we came ahead. And you listen to that and you go, oh, wow, you know how to do this. You weren't a coach. You weren't in the game. And so when you say we, what does that mean? And I think that has yes. got some of the strongest hires I've made in the last two years. Just to go, so, oh, see, so we did this product. You know, who was involved with that? Well, it was me and it was these other people. Okay, what was your role in that? Well, I did this, this. Can I articulate exactly what I did? Yeah. How I impacted the function. You want to see how they work in teams, but also what their contribution was. Um, and I've been fortunate the last couple of years now where I have a leadership team that is, uh, man, I'm grateful. They're awesome. They're how all you- incredible. I love that. So on the competency side, really investigating yeah what are we actually able to take credit for in terms of just getting to know competency, but on the culture side, Mm -hmm. have you found anything that helps you get a better idea quicker on whether they're going to be a good culture fit for us? Yeah. One interesting question to kind of keep that in a tight, because I could something else I could talk about for an hour probably, but I think um, what should a company asking the question, what should a company be motivated by revenue customers or their employees? There's, there's, there's one answer that I think everyone would say is wrong, which is revenue, revenue driven. I think the other two answers you could argue, because if we're all in for our customers, we'll find the right people to be all in for our customers. Well, in our people, those people will care more about the customers. And I could have you know, the debate of what's most important. Are my employees more important than the customers or vice versa? I think getting someone's indication of how they think about the world and, and where they think those that value is, is really important from a cultural perspective. And um, you may get different answers. If I'm a sales leader, revenue might be the goal. Interesting. Tell me, tell me why. Yeah. Uh, if I'm a customer success, it may be customers. If I'm in marketing, it might be my team because marketing folks are creative and energetic and they want to be together, at least in my experience. So, so I think that's an interesting way to start to get to the bottom of it. Um, you know, there's always those little strategies about, you know, tell me about your worst boss and why, which is a great trap question. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I used to work for this son of a, you know, and you start to understand internal versus external locus of control. You know, yeah. I think, I think people that take accountability that look in the mirror first are the people I want to work with. Yeah. Uh, and those are the most powerful employees at any level in an organization. As soon as you start pointing fingers, uh, that is a very tough person for me to have on my team. For uh, sure. It's it's like, let's look in the mirror first. What could we do? What could I do differently? And I think Man. that's where the most successful people. That's exist. super good. I feel like I feel like maybe it was an HBR article or something where it was a similar idea where they're talking about you ask a question. You're not trying to bait them because you could rile them up in a way that's unfair. But you ask sure. a kind of question where there's the opportunity to give credit away or take it. Mm-hmm. And there's the opportunity to give blame or take blame, right? Mm-hmm. And you just, it's not, again, it's not the end all be all, but you get a sense of like, what kind of person is this? Like, what, what is that kind of their character like in those two areas, right? Yeah. And I think, I yeah. think that is a very interesting question. Yeah, yeah. It, unco- it could uncover quite a bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, super helpful. Okay. Like I said, I wanted to let you get, get back to this. So let's get to our lightning round questions and then we'll let you get back to your day. So, Number one, if you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would that message be? Mm. Uh, 
I think that message, the first thing that comes to mind, just being raw, is yeah. what we do matters. And I think there are a lot of organizations, a lot of things that matter. I think if you think about the things that we all take for granted, they wrapped this up to the earlier in the day, and the things that, that we all have around us at some level that make our lives easier, there are men and women with families that work very, very hard to make that happen. And when I see a 70 year old guy working a virtual service center and tell me that he wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for having a tool like this. I'm like, is there someone cutting onions in here or is it, you know, what's happened? I mean, it just, it gets me emotional, man. Cause yeah. it's, it means something. And so I think they feel that, but I think, I think that is always the thing. I want them to know they're doing something that matters and that their part in that mission matters mm. and is meaningful. Um, because I think that drives everything else. So good. Okay. Question number two, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And also what was the worst? Hmm. Yeah, I think the single, the single best advice, gosh, there's so much over time. You know, I, I come back to, I come back to the ability as a founder to, to let go. Um, you know, this, this is something I learned watching my dad's business and you can be Superman and you don't allow your team to do what they do best to get out of their way. You will continue to be Superman. Your business will be able to operate as Superman, which is small. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you want to grow, if you want to have the type of work-life balance eventually, uh, that is, that is required, you know, of life without getting to a place in life where like all my kids went to college or trade school or started their own jobs. And I didn't see them because that is start to come into view. Um, you got to be able to build that really good team. And I think that that requires reducing ego and, and allowing yourself to get out of the way. So I think any advice I've gotten in around that has been really powerful. Um, I think, the worst advice it could be personally given to you or it could yeah. be advice you've just kind of heard passed around the zeitgeist of business that you you just simply disagree with yeah yeah i think uh <laughs> i think the the advice that you'll get over time and i've gotten before is taking a hard look at the people that came up with you and going you need to upgrade so the idea that as a company grows, you certainly want to have skill sets that match that growth and chapter in the life. I think the thing that's undermined in that is relationships, commitment, loyalty, and drive Yeah, that you don't just slough off. And so I think as we've grown into a, you know, a much larger organization and whether it's investors or other people gone, it's an upgrade. You need to upgrade. You need to move these people around. I think, I think you need to understand the, the emotional and psychological uh, value of having those folks and where in the organization, maybe wrong seat right now, but the, you yeah. need that cultural aspect in there. And I think when I hear that kind of just like, it just feels like a, a diminishing approach to, yeah. you know, the foundation of folks that got you to where you are. And I think as you disposable. get bigger, that pressure gets higher. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know? I can tell, I can tell loyalty and people matter a lot to you, which is neat. Which is an eight too, right? Yes. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. And I'm a yeah, nine, I'm true. a nine on the Enneagram. So I feel the same way. Yeah. Yeah. For I sure. love, I love harmony. I love, I love the deeper things in life and the, and the, the relationships and the richness of those. Um, it's really cool to see that you can do both that, you know, even one of the, the missions we have as a company is not making people choose between people or profits. Because mm -hmm. we feel like it's an either or, and I don't think it is. That if you really yeah. take care of people well and you invest in them, it, it, it in turn trickles into the customer relationship. And the customer relationship turns into profit and into mm -hmm. revenue. Those are all linked together. But most people are like, well, we're just after the profit. And then we neglect the people as, as disposable or whatever. And then other people are like, no, we're all about the people. And we act like we don't care about the profit. But if you have no profit, you can't run the business, That's right. right? Yeah. But but you look at it, you look at it as a whole chain and then it's all connected, uh, but it starts with the people. So anyways, Agreed. let me get off of the soapbox. All right. Number three, what causes you the most worry or stress currently leading your organization? Hmm. 
so you hear people say things like champagne problems and that's a good problem to have um a, 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 too much of a good thing can be a really bad thing and I think the biggest thing keeping me up at night is we have been fortunate, especially in the last year, to have uh, the wildest array of growth opportunities that I could ever imagine. There is too much. And I worry about, I worry about burnout. I worry about all those different things with, with myself and the team because um, you also only have some of those opportunities once. And so when you have a lot of demand and a lot of things happening by certain players, you execute. And if you don't, yeah, come back to me in four or five years when you get your stuff together, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, so they're, they're high stakes uh, situations. I think, I think for me, that's the biggest challenge I'm thinking through right now is ensuring that we have the balance, the people and the execution to manage what's coming at us right now. And I think in some ways we're doing really well in some ways we're not. And that's, that's actively what I'm trying to work on. Makes, makes total sense. Okay. Question number four. What is your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal? Mm. Be the world's go-to diagnostic and execution platform for the skilled trades. I want to solve the skilled trades gap at a global level. Come on. And when a technician within the palm of their hand can have a conversation, an interface, and, and, a, and a data lift that allows them to do their job without talking to anyone else, that's, that's the win. Wow. And to me, that is the, the BHAG of this organization. Love it. All right, question number five is going to be a fun twist on the kind of questions we've been asking. It is just a creative question. Take it however you will. Okay. So here's the scenario. You get to hop into a DeLorean. You get to go back to your past, and you only get to tell yourself one thing out the driver's side window as you pass by. When do you go back, and what is the thing that you shout out to yourself I love this question. And Back to the Future is my favorite movie of all time Same. because it's the best movie of all time. We could probably have a podcast on why for all the <laughs> haters out there. Um, but uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> What's a message you needed to hear a long time ago? I think it ties to don't change who you are, but apply that in healthy ways. Mm. Yeah. I think the idea of like growth is like, I have to be a different person. And I think, yep. and yes, we all grow always, but I think that, uh, being able to take, I think about how it was applied in those, those stupid years that you said, the stupid kind of, yep. you know, past yep. that we, we all sometimes get. And there was a lot of wasted motions there, uh, of things that I thought were important in my life that certainly weren't and didn't mm. add value. And, uh, that would be that, as I look back, that would be the biggest lesson that I hope would land, uh, is the, not the confusion of being a different person. It's be who you are, engage with it, but grow within it in a place that's healthier and more impactful in a positive way to the people around you. And I Huge. think that's, uh, that's what I would say. Huge. I don't know if I could say in a DeLorean going 88, but, uh, <laughs> you try. got the, you got the sentiment of the question though. That's perfect. <laughs> right. Awesome. Well, Aaron, man, thank you so much for making time for us today, sharing your heart, your story, your wisdom. It's been really impactful and valuable to me. I can tell you are a, a deep person, a wise person. Uh, and man, it's clear to see why you guys are successful. So thank you again for making time to be on our podcast. Drew, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.